My name is April, and I'm an anchor here at Ocean City Church. Can you please stand for the reading of God's Word? This morning, we're going to be in Nehemiah 8. All the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Chapter, uh, verse five. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Verse 10. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Verse 14. They found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in temporary shelters during the festival of the seventh month and that they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout their towns and in Jerusalem. You may be seated. I want some of that stadium echo that we had going on. <laughs> Thanks for fixing that, guys. Appreciate it. Took them a while to figure out that TV, the input was coming through that TV right there. Somebody was getting a little repeat. Oh, wait, I still hear it. You figured it out? It's one of the... Uh, not, Aaron, stop it. It's all you. Well, I think it's appropriate. You know, you've got Nehemiah reading the law, and it probably was echoing throughout Jerusalem <laughs> as he was reading it, as he stood before the people. It had been about a thousand years, and here I go. Um, but man, I, I tell you what, this, this passage is one that we, we read back during COVID, um, and we were coming out of it, and we were gathering again for the first time, and we did a series called Return, um, and we jumped right in, and we had several passages where and this happened a lot of times for the Israelites. They had seasons where they were very far from God and ingrained in the culture, either whether they were in exile or they had just come through and moved into a particular area when Joshua came through in the conquest and moved into the land. Pe people walked away from God, and then there was these moments time and time again where they had come back together. But this one was pretty, was pretty special. And I, as I read this, there was, so, there was a few things that came, came to mind for me. Uh, many years ago, uh, my family was in a house church. Anybody ever done house church? Like said, you know, I'm just done with the corporate thing. And we had gotten cynical and you know, read a few books where we thought that people knew everything about church. Um, and that might be one of you, and I'm, I'm very sorry, but I've been there, done that. 
and we, we it was about five families we were meeting, and it was a, it was a beautiful and sweet time. We were in North St. John's County. Some of the, my best friends to this day uh, were in that little house church, uh, and we would you know we'd sing songs, acoustic guitars, just a, a few of us. Um, and there was this season, and then, then there was a kind of a transition season where Beth and I felt called to move out of the neighborhood that we were in. Um, and we were we weren't called to, we were meeting like 20 minutes away from where we lived, and we're like, man, we really want to have a community where we live and breathe the community, where church is life. Like, we don't just attend something, but we belong to something, man. That's where you hear that language here. Uh, and we went to River City Church the, the first time, and we had known Antley um, from years before, uh, but didn't know him that well. He was the, the leader and the pastor there at River City. They, you know, were about a year in, and uh, I remember walking in there. And think about not going and being in a corporate gathering from us two years, uh, and worship started, and I literally, I couldn't even, I didn't know what it was. I couldn't control myself. I just started crying and weeping. And I looked around the room. And, and now, you know, just that, that was a different church, too. Everything that I was cynical about with church and corporate anything, anybody putting lights up and doing all the, you know, the show that some people call church, um, I, was, I was, kind of didn't like. But City Rescue Mission was definitely not a show. I mean, you'd go in there, the ceiling tiles were falling in. I literally heard gunfire when I walked in, and I was like, this is my church. Um, but then going in and, and being led in worship wonderfully, excellently, um, and uh, having uh, Antley Fowler, who was probably the best host of all time in terms of inviting people in and making them feel like, hey, we're all together in this. This isn't me high up on a stage. This is us anchoring ourselves to Jesus. And I just, I, don't, I think I cried through the whole thing. Um, and I looked around, and all I felt in my heart was, man, I miss this. I miss this blessed, holy gathering of the saints. And it wasn't that it didn't happen in the house, but the house was a little bit more inward. There wasn't, we were like, we were five families, and we were like, we're not going to really invite anybody else into the unending ocean of grace. We like this. This is our little deal. This is our small group. This is our city group. We don't want anybody to encroach, right? But that's not the gospel, and it was so funny to be in that, in, in that context, in that environment. And so, you know, as, as we traverse in here, you know, we, we ended last week talking about a reframing, right? We talked about this idea that we're looking at God improperly. And sometimes we, we, you know, we see those pictures, you know, where somebody's holding the sun and we're, we're, we're looking at them. And we know that they're ridiculous because we know that, that the sun is 93 million miles away, that it can hold 1.3 million Earths and volume, uh, we know it's bigger. But for us, we have a fractured view of what we, what we think about when we think about God. There's something in the world that we live in, in, in the world that we dive into, that fractures our view. And I said at the end of last week, it's like we, we need to get things back in perspective because when we really see who God is, it reframes our problems. It reframes a lot of the things that, that, that seem like they're huge in life. And then all of a sudden, we get a, a, just a glimpse of God, and all those things can shrink in an instant. But I left even last week thinking, but how? Like, how do we get that? Like, how do we get in those spaces and in those places where we actually are reframed, where we, where we begin to see how big God is, where we, we, we experience? Because we, I think we often come into church you know, more with an investigative heart. We want to know the Bible. We want to know kind of the, the things of God. And it's all, it seems to lean towards investigation many times. But what we actually need is a revelation. That's what the Apostle Paul prayed for, for the, the church at Ephesus. He said, I, I want something for you. 
I want you to clearly see God. I want you to, I want, I want you to have a glimpse of him because he knew that if they got the proper view of who God was, it would change everything. People wondered how the Apostle Paul gave his life away. You know, the, the dude was shipwrecked, beaten, snake bitten. I mean, you couldn't think of, I mean, the, the amount of times the Apostle Paul was imprisoned and beat with an inch of his life for the gospel. It's crazy when you read, when you read the New Testament and you wonder how in the world do you get, get a picture and a glimpse of God, the reality that he exists and that he's the most valuable thing, that it does not matter what I do, that this life, he would, Paul would say things like, hey, this momentary just this, this light and momentary affliction doesn't even compare to the eternal weight of glory. He knew that he was going to eventually see Jesus face to face. He said, hey, and guess what? I see thin. I don't see fully. I, don't, I see through a glass darkly, the Apostle Paul. He's like, soon I'm going to see face to face, and it will all be clear what, why it was the best choice to sacrifice my life in order to carry the gospel, to see Jesus more and more even on this side of heaven. And so the Apostle Paul would say to the church at Ephesus, if you've got your Bible in Ephesians chapter 1, look in verse 17. And I, I like to put these in the, in the references in Nehemiah 8. Like what, what, was, what, was, what was going on in that the walls are now back together, right? They've worked so hard. They've suffered. And as, as Nehemiah is recounting in his journal, in the, in the very words of God, it says the people were what? They were hanging out there for six hours. And they were intently listening. So if I go a little longer today, is it okay? But the Apostle Paul really put some words on what, what was happening to them. The reason there was weeping. The reason they were like, let's pull out the, the good food, the good drinks. We're going to fire up the tents. We're going we're, we're to do something here that we haven't done in a very, very long time. And the Apostle Paul says this when he's praying for the church at Ephesus because he wants them to experience what happened many, many years before to the people of God in Jerusalem. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ and the glorious Father, he says, I'm praying for you that, that you might get, that, that God might give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that what? The eyes of your heart may be enlightened. He's like, I want you, I want you, 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 we are on planet earth because of our sin, we're blind. And I want you to see with spiritual eyes. Now he's talking to a bunch of Christians too. So what that tells me is that we can get blinded again. It's not that we don't know Jesus. It's not that we lose our salvation. It's that, that, that there's something, a shroud that can happen. There's something that can, can keep us from clearly seeing who God is and seeing his infinite worth and his value. Seeing that he is the, why we were created. Colossians says we were created by and for Jesus. So joy comes at that place where we're, our whole life, we realize we're created. When we step into that lane of doing the things that God created us for, which is glorifying him in all things, enjoying him forever, not the world, but enjoying him forever. That is where we're going to experience joy. And the Apostle Paul's like, that's only going to happen if these people see it. If they understand it and know it. They need an aha moment. They need to sit down in the restaurant when everybody's been talking about it and going, hey, this is the good, this is the good food, man. We, we come here and this is, I don't know, this is the best Mexican restaurant in, all of, in the whole town. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You hear it with your, but then all of a sudden you what? You taste and see. You're like, oh, yeah. And you can't wait to invite the next person. You're like, have you ever been to Flying Iguana? Have you ever gotten the steak taco? It will set you free. 
And it will. I mean, if you've never been there and you're new to town, I would recommend don't get one of this and one of that. Just get two steak tacos because that's, that's where it's at. Yeah, people know. Somebody's yes and an amen in right there. They're like, yes and amen. That's where it's at. We want to have our eyes open. So I want to walk through a few things that we see here. I don't think this is a holistic list. It's just what we see in this passage as we work through it and what kind of rises to the surface on how do we get in that place to allow God by the power of his spirit to give us what? Wisdom and revelation. I want my eyes opened. I don't know about you, but they get shut by a lot of distraction and noise on planet earth. And the first thing that we see here is the word of God opens our eyes. Like, look what happens in an instant when when Ezra's elevated on a stage and he opens the word of God and he begins to read. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon. Don't let that scare you. And as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of men, women, and others who could understand and all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. They were actively listening. It's interesting if you, in seminary classes, you'll, there's, there's professors that will preach from Nehemiah chapter 8 to, to, to show this is what, what our job is as preachers, that we take the word of the law. And it says in this passage that, that the priests and the teachers of the law, Ezra spoke the word of the law and read the book of the law, and then there was several people that were around that were explaining it, and the people listened. They were explaining it. It says in, in, the, in, the, in this passage, in a way that people could understand. In other words, they got those messages and the things that were happening in the, the, the law of Moses and made it relative. We got something. We good? <laughs> I busted. I'm like, what? What happened? I was always looking. When they're laughing in front and I'm, I know there's no joke, I'm like, my fly's down for sure. There's no doubt. No doubt that's happening. I know my brother-in-law too well. <laughs> so... How, how, what is, what is happening in this passage? We see the, the, that the word of God opens our eyes. He read it aloud and all of a sudden something broke in the atmosphere. I mean, have you, have you ever been here where we, we've had a reading and there was, there's like a, a section and all of a sudden, at least for me, like all of a sudden I'm like, I just, the, the spirit, something just cracked and something broke in the atmosphere. Well, for them, just multiply that times 10. If you read the passage, something so powerful is happening. They, their value for, for what, what they had missed for so many years had gone through the roof. They were actively listening because they, they knew this was like honey, as, as David would say in the Psalms. Like, like your law, the word is like honey. They were like this We didn't even realize we missed it. It's that moment that I walked into River City Church. It wasn't that I wasn't experiencing the word of God. It was the the way that God had intended it in the gathering of the saints in corporate worship where the word was read that we worshiped together and unified our voices in singing. And it it just broke me down and thought, I just thought, man, I had no idea how much I had missed this. And the word of God is that place where we come before God and we get this different level of intimacy. And I think sometimes we're trying to figure out, and, and again, this isn't about the, the, the how-tos of seeing God. Like, this is what, you know, this is how we get close to God because we need to work our way into. Everything about the gospel is He is close. It's just are our eyes open, right? 
We don't, we don't find our way to God, running to him, climbing the ladder to heaven to find him. The whole story of the gospel is he comes down to earth into our mess right next to us in the middle of who we are. He is a, somebody that could sympathize and knows our pain, knows our temptation, knows everything about us. It's not that he's not close. It's that our eyes are not open. And that's what I need. And there's those moments when I want to know somebody, when I want to get in proximity, when I want to see them, if I love them and I want to get to know them, I want to hear everything about them. When my, when my daughter, Ella, was about, I don't know, about four years old when we lived in Riverside, is that a rough four or five? Um, we, those are the, when we, and I, 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 I would take, I'd date Ella. I'm like, We're going to go out on dates. And... We would, uh, we would walk uh, or ride our bikes um, to Moss Fire Grill uh, in Riverside. I loved that they did a, a nachos and their smoked salsa was off the charts. And we would go there once a week. And it's so great when the little girl looks, so, you know, it's funny. You, you walk in there and they're sitting there and then, what are you doing? You're, you're having a conversation. You're, you're face, it's different than the, than the regular rhythm of life, right? You're coming in when your kids are young and... It's like you get off work, everybody comes in, there's this few hours of chaos, you know, you're trying to get them all bathed, you're doing the dinner thing, and you're like, you get them to bed, and then you sit back, and you're like, okay, now we're going to watch a show, and then you fall asleep three minutes into it. But, but when you decide to, to date one of your children, you're, you're sitting in front of them, and you're listening. You're letting them speak, and you're taking that in, right? You're, you're absorbing what they're saying. And, and a, a three to four year old, you're just, you're in that moment and they're listening to you. Ella would just pepper me with questions and ask me different things. Talk about the food a little bit. But it was this sweet moment where you're getting to know someone. And it's changing your relationship and the way that you frame how you think about that person. It's a technical anomaly in here. It's like, man, we need to study this place. God is here. No doubt. It's amazing. Is there a, yeah, I think we're on a fault line, you know, where gravity is different. <laughs> the Word of God opens our eyes. I mean, it is like, it is the, it's those moments. It's like, I, I know my wife, but it's important for me to, to get away, to have those intimate moments where I'm looking at you, you're looking at me, and I want to see you. It's those moments where we, we always say, look, do you see that? It's different. It's different to look at something. You don't quite get it all. But you're, you tell somebody, hey, look. And then what do you say? Do you, do you see that? And intimacy is about seeing someone. Right? Intimacy. Into me. See? Like, do you see this? Do you see what's going on in here? And the word of God, it can, it, it, it doesn't, I think sometimes we, and we stumble across certain things in, in the word of God, but to get alone and to get into that space, to get into that, that moment at lunch or that moment in the morning where you shut everything out and it's not just utilitarian, I got to read my Bible, get my, you know, utmost for his highest or whatever it is that you read on the John and call that your intimacy, but really mark out some time. And say, it's me and it's you. And I want to I see you. I want to I experience you. I, I was thinking about Moses in Exodus chapter 33. Um, you know, after Moses leads two million people out of slavery, they've been in slavery for 400 years, 
he just had a relationship with God that was just unusual to everybody else. The people would see Moses go into the tent, in the tent of meeting, and pray, and have conversations. Not, not, it wasn't even prayer. It was conversations with God. And the people would be on the outside waiting for something to happen. Because the pillar of cloud would happen. And I explained last week in Leviticus, fire sometimes would come and consume the sacrifice. But Moses would go in the tent. just to, It was just, I'm going to meet with God. And a young Joshua, son of Nun, he would be on the edge of the tent. If you read, whenever Moses was in the tent, Joshua was like, I want to get as close as I'm allowed to be. And he would be outside the door just listening to what's going on. And everybody would say, God, listen to how they talk. God talks to Moses like he's his friend. Intimacy. Intimacy. It was this, this exchange that would happen. And Moses eventually says, hey, I'm leading these people into the promised land. We don't know what's on the other side of all of this, but we, I, I won't go if you don't go with me. And he eventually says, I want to see your glory. I've never really seen your glory fully. And God says, well, if you see my glory face to face, you'll die, but I'll let you see my glory. He says, I want you to stand right here in this position, right by this rock. And when I, when I pass you by, I'll put my hand over you so that it doesn't kill you because you can't see my face. Anybody that, that sees my face, they're not going to live. That's the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. So he passes all, pass you by. And so God does that, puts him in the cleft of the rock, passes him by, and then Moses sees God's glory pass by. And then he gets the Ten Commandments, and then he comes down off the mountain. And people are like, Moses doesn't even know. He's, he's been with, he's seen God. And he's been with God in a friendship relationship. And there, people couldn't even look at Moses because he was so bright. The anointing was so on Moses. And I know that's a Christian word, but he was, anointing is like, there's a light bulb on someone. You don't see that actual light, but they walk into the room and they're just, they're talking different. They got a different tempo to what they're saying. And you're like, that, it's not, oh, that person knows a lot about the Bible. No. You're like, that person has been with the Almighty. I don't know what it is. They have been packed away in a closet. They've been on their face, on their knees. They've been, they've been in the presence of God because the way that they're talking and the things that they're saying and the way that it, something has happened with them. There's, a, there's, a, there's an aura and it has nothing to do with them. It's not about their greatness. They are reflecting the king of the universe. That's the type of intimacy I want. I don't want to come up here to, to preach uh, because I've, I've gotten real good at studying the Bible. Because that's, not a, that's me bringing myself to you, you know, in any room, to my kids, anybody. I want to bring the only thing that's of value, and it's what God's imparted. I have no authority up here. But God does. And if I'm with him, then guess what? I get to bring with me. I get to bring his authority. That's the power of our eyes being open. And that's what the Apostle Paul wanted. I want them to have wisdom, and I want their eyes to be open. Revelation. It's a game changer. The word of God opens our eyes. Number two, the church opens our eyes. In verse one, it says, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They all gathered it was the gathering of the saints. This is, this, is, this is probably what my heart spiritually missed for a couple of years in the, the larger gathering of the saints, where, where Hebrews says to us, what, we, we should never forsake the gathering of the saints. And I'm not saying that you can't have a house. There's plenty of house churches. When that's what you need to be in 
places where they don't let you even open a Bible, then absolutely we want to be in house churches. And I don't have any, no knock against the house church, but your ultimate idea is, you know what, that house church might grow beyond the house church because you're inviting anyone and everyone to experience the unending ocean of grace that comes through Jesus. And we all should be. So it should, if, if it is five families for five years, then great. But that shouldn't be because you closed the doors and said nobody else on the boat. Nobody else in the ocean of grace. The beauty of the gathering of the saints is that we all of a sudden end up in rooms like these and we all, all of a sudden are celebrating together, singing in harmony and with our voices in unison to the king of the universe. It is one of the most powerful things that we see. And, and the beauty of, of us together, I mean, you can have intimacy with God on your own. We just talked about it. You should be. Jesus was that way. He, he would get off early in the morning to quiet places where he prayed and he spent time with God. But three times a day, he was in the synagogue reading, reading the law with other people. It was, this, is a, this is a team sport. Every bit of the Bible leads us to the place that, that Ephesians, the Apostle Paul's talking, all of the language that you see in Ephesians, in Colossians, in the epistles, are, it's we language. Now, we can read it on our own, but it was, it was written to be read together because instead of just having two eyes, in this room, I've got 150 eyes. I've got different people that are helping me see. Do you understand? I can't be fully seeing God without you. It just doesn't happen. It is so powerful to be in the body of Christ and, and what it does when you come together. And it's what they missed so desperately. They hadn't been together like this for for nearly a thousand years. It could have been over a thousand. You don't quite know the timeline when you get that far back. But it says since the time of Joshua, they had not gathered in this particular way. Now they had gathered, they had done church, but the way that they particularly did it and celebrated for seven days, this tabernacles thing that they were doing, this tent thing, they were built, they were like, we're going to stay here. And Nehemiah says, look, we're not going to cry because this is a celebration. I know we should weep and that's coming we're going we're gonna to weep and repent, but right now we're gonna, we are going to celebrate for seven days, and we're going to continue to sing together. We're going to continue to read together, but we're going to celebrate that we're together, and God is in our presence, and, and they hadn't done it. Can you imagine since Joshua? I mean, if you've been in the Come and Listen series, that was a long time ago, and they're doing this. They're, 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 people were literally that were in Jerusalem were putting tents on top of their houses, not staying in their house and staying on the tent. I mean, it was like a big hippie movement. I mean, they were all in there, Jesus Revolution style, right? They were all coming to tent revival. They were all coming around, and there was, you know, there's a dude playing a guitar, and they're all just worshiping together, and they're all like, I can't believe it's been this long since we've been in the presence of God. And they sang together. Ephesians 3 says this. The Apostle Paul's praying again. He says, I pray that you being rooted and established in love. Again, he's talking to the collective church. May have the power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Look at, look at 18 again. May have the power what? Together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp. To me, right there, you can't fully grasp. You can't fully get God in view without the person next to you. You just can't. 
It's, it's, it, it is a, a biblical principle you'll see over and over again in the epistles. We come together. We see things. We sharpen one another. When I can't see, you're my eyes. When I can't grasp how wide, how high, how deep the love of Christ is, I walk in here cynical. And I begin to sing songs with the saints, not even wanting to sing. And by the end of that song, my eyes begin to be open. One of the most powerful things is to hear testimonies of encouragement. You know, uh, I, I've, I've, I mentioned Brett because he sits in uh, seat 1A, right in the front corner all the time. And uh, we've become pretty good buddies over the years. Um, and some of you may know, a lot of you in the room do know, but um, how many years ago were you, you were diagnosed with cancer? Some 2019. Um, and it, it progressed and got, got to a point where um, his doctor said it was like that we're going to stop treatment. Um, you're headed to the grave. You know, I mean, that's a, it's a hard thing to, to take in that, hey, we, we, can't, we can't help you. The cancer is spread, and this is, this is what's happening, and um, you've got this long to live. Um, that, was a, that was a hard day for me, but it was, I'm sure, a much harder day for, for Brett. Um, and we've been praying for Brett, uh, I mean, the entire time. Sometimes faithfully, sometimes not. I mean, I'll, I'll admit, you, you get to a point where you, you, know, you hear bad news and it keeps you know, being bad over and over again. And people have laid hands on him in prayer ministry and prayed for him to have peace, prayed for him to see Jesus despite his cancer. But we've also prayed for healing with, honestly, sometimes a mustard seed, not even that, of faith going, you know, I, gotta, I have to pray this prayer because this man needs healing, but I'm wondering if that's really what's going to happen, and you're scared to pray. I, I think God's going to heal you. You won't ever say those words, but some people faithfully have said, I, I, God's going to heal you. And I was sitting, I was in Atlanta, Georgia, sitting in a, a, a conference, um, and I get a text um, from Brett, and I look down, and it says, well, I guess I'm fully in remission, officially. <laughs> Brett, come up here. Get up here for a second. Come here. <laughs> this is Brett right here. So, I can't fully see God without Brett. I was, if I was on a solo mission with, with me, you know, if I, if I want to go fast, I go alone. If I want to go far, we go together. And, you know, the, the, do, the doctor, he, he was like, okay, so what does this mean? And, you know, how, how long do I have? And the doctor says, oh, we're officially lifting the death sentence right here. Can you believe that? I mean, I, I mean we talk about the, the God that is the death to life God. But... Even, I'll just say this, and this is, this is what's powerful, is before any of this, seeing Brett in, in seat 1A and the, the times that he's come here, we think our value in church is what we do, how we serve, um, but our presence in the holy gathering of the saints, it has been the most powerful thing that Brett, he is always here. He is, I mean, there is, he does not miss. He is here. And he's, he's not here because he's uh, obligated. He's here because he needs it. 
He's here because I'm, he's desperate and he believes that God can do anything. He's seen God through some of the darkest days and through you people. Through you people. Through you people. We, 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 don't, we don't journey alone. You want to get a vision of God that changes your life? You, and it doesn't happen overnight, and it's not every Sunday. But there's, if you read this passage, what you see is, you can go, I'm not going to make you stand here. He's like, I'm ready, to, I'm ready to go. Let's give Brett another hand. Let's give God a hand. Woo! You know, you wonder, does God really do miracles? We read about it all the time. Does God really heal people? God, God's, he is amazing. And we don't know what our journey is, but I'm telling you, there's somebody that's walked in here today that you need physical healing. And, and I, I want to I say this, and this isn't to be, you know, I think you can walk into a lot of churches that will, you know, that's their, that's their thing. You know, it's a, that's all they really talk about is um, signs and wonders. And it's, but there's signs and wonders. God does represent himself and say, if y'all were, were wondering, I am the God. This is my testimony from death to life. You know? He, he yeah, hey, if you're not dead, he's not done. He's not done. And, and Brett, I mean, he just told somebody in, uh, where was it? In uh, Ellen's kitchen, he was in there, and I guess somebody, one of his friends knew, and told the, you know, them that he, is, he was in remission, and the, the whole staff came, comes out, you know, in tears and singing, he's a jolly good fellow. I mean, just erupts the whole place, <laughs> you know? It's like, and you, you read this passage, it's what's crazy is after all this is going down, you know what the command was? Well, go into all the towns and tell everybody all the good news. Like that we're all back together. That this thing is, this thing's popping off, right? We're getting ready to have a seven-day party. Go tell everybody to get their tent. It's the gospel. It's the good news. Lastly, worship opens our eyes. You want to get a vision of who God is, you worship together. And in verse 5, it says, Ezra opened the book and all the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people stood up and Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people, they lifted their hands. It wasn't half of them. It wasn't a few of them. It was all of them. And they responded, a I mean, exclamation point, amen, amen. And then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. They sang together. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach, admonish one another with all wisdom. How, how does he teach and admonish? I used to read that and go, okay, we're supposed to teach and admonish people in the church. How, how does that happen? It's teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. God teaches us and leads us and opens our eyes as we sing. You know, one of the most powerful things. So many times I've gotten in a, in a space that is unhealthy, where I've made God a, a small, insignificant side story. And then the story of my demise or what's happening in my life is so massive. And the act of singing songs about the cross with you fine people leads my eyes upward to a vision of the cross of Jesus Christ and it changes everything in my heart. I remember about 11 years ago, it was my 40th birthday, Beth got me tickets to Gentlemen of the Road um, concerts, the ones down in St. Augustine. Uh, Mumford & Sons was the headliner. It was a couple of days. It was a different kind of festival. It wasn't the Jesus Festival. 
Um, but it was, we were all packed in there. It was super hot. Um, I think I got, I got a story. There's a few people in here. I had to show this because I, I remember um, this one pretty good. Look at that. Look at Seth Johnson. Just such a baby. You know, look at that baby face. I just want to grab his cheeks, you know. Um, so, so, so cool. And, and we're there, and we're, we're packed in there. It's funny. You see that, and probably all of you are jealous. It was so hot, I wanted to leave right then. Um, but that's Instagram for you. Um, I'm kidding. It was amazing. But there was, a, there was this night that was kind of, the, the sun was setting. The, the sky was just painted like you've never seen in your life. I mean, it was amazing. And everybody, with everything they, they, they've got, are singing Awake My Soul, you know, if you know Mumford and Sons, Awake My Soul, and they're going, going after it, and everybody's reaching for Marcus Mumford, you know, like, gosh, I just want to, I want to, you know, I want to be on the stage with him, and it was kind of like we were all together, but then the sky just changed even more, and it was so electric and so unbelievable that you slowly saw people bend over from the, from the stage to looking off to the, to the left-hand side and up, to the sky in awe because you're like, holy cow, somebody just took out their paintbrush and painted something that is absolutely, that, I mean, Marcus Mumford could sing and all of us were doing our thing was, was beautiful and amazing. I mean, to sing, to sing those lyrics, in these bodies we will live, in these bodies we will die, and where you invest your love, you invest your life, in these bodies we will live, these bodies we will die, and where you invest your love, you invest your life. Awake my soul. Awake my soul. Some of you are wanting me to sing it and I'm not. Awake my soul. You were made to meet your maker. And we're singing those with everything we got. Just rah, And people are looking at a sky painted by the Almighty. You want to see? You want to see? It's... It's in those moments where we unify our voices together. It's in those moments that the things of earth, they grow strangely dim. And I, again, I love Mumford and Sons, still do. But I'm telling you, Marcus Mumford got really small in one of his biggest moments with a, you know, 25, 30,000 people. And people were looking, they were looking at what God did. They were looking at what God had painted on the sky to say, hey, that's pretty cool what you can do. I created those vocal cords, but watch this. And he painted the sky. We need a, we need a revelation. You know, I love what Matt Redmond says about leading worship because I think sometimes we're, you know, we're trying to evoke all that kind of stuff in a room, the emotion. Like, I want to, I wanna, you know, we want to get people to raise their hands. We want to get people to sing. We want people to, we want people to do these particular things. And he always says that, that, that worship is, is more about seeing than it is singing. He says, if you give people a picture of the cross of Jesus Christ and they see it, they really see it for, for what it is, him for who he is and what he's done, if they see it, oh, they will sing. They will sing. That's what evokes the heart because you were built, you were made to meet your maker. You were made to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You want to be, and, and what's beautiful about the gospel is that intimacy was impossible for you. You could not be in the presence of God. It was, there was, you had no way, no shot because of your sin, because of your brokenness, because of God's holiness. 
But guess what? Jesus came all the way down for you and for me to break down the walls of hostility, to just tear the veil in two, to invite you in to a revelation of God that will change everything about who you are. Do you want to have a relationship with God? Not, not, do I want to go to church? Do I want to study religion? Do I want to open the Bible? Do I want to have a friendly community? But do you want to have a relationship with the king of the universe? Because you were not made to be somebody. You were made to know somebody. And it will, it will transform everything about who you are from glory to glory over and over again.